Was I cool? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Oh my goodness. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And here we are, inside dancing around our, our crazy, crazy brains. brains. See? Good work there. <laughs> you're, you're catching on. I'm, I'm getting it. After more than a year, I'm, I'm starting to slowly learn the format for this show. Yeah, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, not many. <laughs> not many. Not, not many, they're anymore. not very exciting, but <laughs> it can be done. Which may be the, the most important thing of it all. Speaking of old dogs. Uh, oh, boy. We're talking about the oldest dog of them all, Count well. Dracula, otherwise known as Count Orlock, otherwise known as Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Because it's, this is our only October episode before Halloween, and so oh, Paul yeah. thought he would leverage that to force me to watch a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Jake does not like horror movies. I personally kind of do, depending on the horror movie. Paul, like, secretly loves... To yeah. be scared. Give me, like, give me an opportunity to talk about horror movies, and I will talk. Yeah. I will talk. You don't even have to give him an opportunity. No, he'll, I'll just he'll say, make an opportunity. Can I talk to you about horror movies for a minute? <laughs> have you met? Come over here. Have Let you me talk my, to you about my friend. A quiet place. Horror movies. <laughs> have you met horror movies? <laughs> it's like you're the worst, world's worst proselytizer. <laughs> really? Yeah, I really am. Like I'd, I'd rather somebody come up and be like, "Have you? Do you know about Jesus?" And I'd be like, I mean, of course, I already know about Jesus, but versus somebody coming up and saying, do you So know let about, me tell you about this scary movie. Do you know movie. about horror movies? Yeah. Let me, let That's me just, tell you. You know, for me, it's just not how I like to spend my free time. Call me crazy. Oh. I don't like to spend my free time being scared. You are crazy. You are crazy. October is the time of year where you sit down and the wind's blowing outside. The leaves are falling. The shadows are getting longer. You sit down and you watch a movie to be scared. No. It's what you do. All of that was good except for the last part. Yeah. And, you know. It's not. No. I, 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 I'll just have to say I loathe Halloween. You loathe Halloween? Yeah. Did your parents I, let I you celebrate Halloween? It. We did. You know, we did all the traditional Midwestern Christian alternatives. Ah. Hallelujah night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Was the was the popular really? one in our communities? Yeah, we. I didn't even know harvest parties. There's a lot. There's like yeah, the harvest could, parties were pretty edgy. Harvest parties. No, I feel like Hallelujah Night's almost more edgy. Well, Hallelujah Night sounds a lot more holy than Harvest Night. Like, it sounds can, more holy, but it's also like harvest parties. When I learned about them as an older adult, were like. Oh yeah, you just we'll we'll do a chili cook off and we'll do a hoedown and we'll do some square dancing and like where they're just trying to just do com- something completely different but on that night. Yeah. Or around that night versus Hallelujah night which is a holier word but they're playing they're like using it because it sounds close to Halloween oh, and they're still gotcha, encouraging kids gotcha, to gotcha. dress up and ask for candy at the Halloween night and then of course could you dress up as Dracula on Halloween night or uh, would you be thrown out I think I you know it depends on the church you went to really yeah you know growing up at a non-denominational you know mainstream non-denominational evangelical church I think I could have dressed up as yeah Dracula, you could have gotten away with that. My mom always dressed us up as kids as before we could protest, she would dress all of us up as clowns. 
like every every well and what is more scary than a clown yeah so that was that was what we would do was clowns so anyways yeah i don't care for the holiday i do not care for it at all it's because of the makeup the clown makeup that that must be it the rash that it created on your face but uh after we talk about nosferatu we're actually moving on to an even scarier movie which is Sunday School Musical for our new segment that we were we've we teased it we teased it but we're doing it hurts so good and our first movie was I don't Sunday know if School it hurts Musical so good, but we'll get into that we'll talk about it we'll let you know uh, but but that's after we talk about the less scary yeah. 1922 Nosferatu. All right. I, I was trying to come up with a line. <laughs> but, but, but really, it's a silent movie. It's a silent movie. So what, so, what line is there? Yeah, you just you just sort of enter in silence. I mean, the, the version that I watched had a lot of organ music. So you had a lot it. of music. So we're talking about Nosferatu, 1922 movie. 1922. A lot of music. German movie. Uh, did the one you watched, was it the restored version like where they updated all the music? Is that the only one available at this point? You know, I'm not sure. The, the, the version that I watched had organ music throughout most of the movie, and then I think the organist just dropped dead from weariness, and then they <laughs> threw in an orchestra for about 20 minutes, oh, and then the organist came back. Like a vampire himself. Okay, so the version I watched, I got from the library, and it was a restored version from, I want to say, 2006. Oh, it was on Amazon Prime. You could have just watched it there. For free? Yeah, for free. Well, interesting. I thought I had looked, and anyways, but I got it from the library because, you know, special features and all that. Yeah. Um, And uh, so they did a version, like in 2006, they did a restoration of it, according Mm -hmm. to this DVD. Where you know they found some of the missing reels and they put them in because this movie was actually supposed to be completely destroyed at one point, and so they had to be pieced together. And there was no, you know, very little of the original score left. And so they had so they actually got an orchestra for this for the rest- restoration in two thousand six and completely oh, redid so you the heard, music. You heard the whole orchestra that was from, from yeah from yeah. the original movie. Like that would have played live at the movie and then been recorded to play with it at other films. Movies were a big deal at one point. They were a big deal at one point in time. So, anyways, it the music all sounded really like crisp and well done, and the restoration was really good. How was the quality of the one on Amazon? Mine was fine. Obviously, it wasn't the the restored score orchestra full pit thing but but yeah the the version that i saw was just dandy it was uh we i actually watched it with my parents which was sort of an interesting experience and 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 for a movie that is literally almost 100 years old it the movie quality is not bad yeah the restored version like actually uh, I was reading about this after watching the movie mm-hmm. that one of the common misperceptions about old films of this era and the silent film era is that they were really low quality visuals. Right. But actually at the time they were pretty high quality, which we actually see in this film. It's just that the film reels themselves were very, uh, 
brittle and combustible yeah. and oh, yeah. wore yeah, down exactly. easily. So the, most of the versions we see have been damaged. Mm-hmm. And so we just think, oh, that's how they watch their movies. Right. But then you watch this, you're like, oh, it's in, in many places mm-hmm. when the lighting's good, it's really crisp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the lighting is pretty good here. I mean, even in, in pitch dark, it looks, it looks <laughs> yeah. a little bit like it's it's noon. But it was 1922, so the the sky was just brighter then, I suppose. This, yeah, there was less darkness over the land in yeah, exactly. 1922. Exactly. No, and, and that, that is a... So that brings us... I mean, Nosferatu, right? Let's let's, let's ta- just let's dive ta- in. Let's dive in, right? This is a no- uh, knockoff of the Dracula story. It is a knockoff. told by Bram Stoker. Yeah. yeah, the reason why it's called Nosferatu is because they didn't have the rights for it. I think they were already planning on the the movie Dracula. The, the American movie Dracula was just, I think, nine years away at this point, And I think the rights had already been sold. So, so Nosferatu was Dracula, only not really. Yeah, the, the movie maker wanted to try to change enough right. that he wouldn't get sued. But Lee, you know, keep it the same enough right. that it was the story he wanted to tell. Exactly. He wanted to tell the Dracula story. He wanted to tell the Dracula story. Unfortunately and- for him, it didn't work. <laughs> he still got sued. He still lost the case. And his movie, this movie studio, it's the only movie they ever made. No way. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, they were – he actually, like, the director and another guy um, – and I mean more than just two, but they were kind of leading the way. They were trying to create this movie studio that would really focus on making supernatural and occult-like focused right. films. Right, because they were all the rage in Germany where this was made. I right. mean, they made some creepy movies in the 1920s in Germany. Yep. So he wanted to to make a studio that would focus on making these types of movies. This was the only one this studio ever made. Wow. Because they had to declare bankruptcy after they got sued by the widow of Bram Stoker. <laughs> that's that's really that's really sad. So in a way it's sort of a vampiric movie as it is, you know, because is, they made the movie, the studio actually died, but the movie lives on somehow. Right. Well and the movie was spo- like I think I alluded to before, it was supposed to be completely destroyed. Right. And so most of the copies of the film were burned. Except that it had already been distributed throughout the world, and so a couple of copies made it through because somebody forgot or was like, "Yeah, screw that. Who's going to come find me? Yeah, I, I would imagine that it was a kind of a big hit. I bet it was a kind of a sensation when it was made, right? Um, it really – I don't think it made a huge splash one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like not that it was panned or right. massive. Right. Uh, it was just sort of – it was just sort of there. Right. But it was big enough to get the attention of yeah. Bram Stoker's widow so she could sue. <laughs> um, but it also wasn't like this blockbuster, you know, tear the roof off type thing yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and now, of course, it's become this this all-time silent movie classic. I mean, I think that, that probably those who have watched a silent movie, I would imagine that there's a lot of folks who have watched either, either what, Metropolis or Nosferatu, right? right? It's kind of in that level where where it's become pretty famous. And and I think, Jake, I'm really eager to hear what you think, but I think it actually holds up 
okay. You know, the thing about the thing about these silent movies is, of course, they were done before people really knew how to make movies. So subtlety is not their thing. And you right. have you have a lot of moments where there's a lot of overacting here. There's a lot of grand gestures and swooning and laughter, and it just gets very, very big. But for all that said, there are, I think some bona fide creepy moments in this movie. There's a scene where, you know, essentially Count Orlock Dracula, he is trying to get from his home in Transylvania, sail to Germany. Bremen, I think, is where he's going in this movie. It, I don't know whether you can get there by boat. It seems like a strange thing because you could just sort of cut across country. But yeah, that, that's a the plot hole. Exactly. In the movie you know, is in, that in he dr- takes the long route, <laughs> yeah. goes around the world in eighty days yeah. as our hero. Right. Falls out of the castle, goes to the hospital, yeah. has a nice stay, and then proceeds to still beat the count. <laughs> yeah. Has, has a home. nice languishing stay. But but in, in, anyway, he's he's sailing, sailing by boat. And and there's this scene where he actually rises up, just sort of folds himself out of his co- coffin. Not even folds. He's just straight like a plank. Yeah, he, he is. Just, he was the original planker. <laughs> kind of. He just just from yeah. flat on his back, straight standing up. Yeah, yeah. No, and and Matt Shrek, who plays uh, plays the the vampire here, he is just a creepy looking dude. He is. So I I think that there are actually some moments here, and in some ways, I think it's. Far better and, and in some ways far creepier than 1931's Dracula, which I personally didn't like very much. Yeah, I didn't see that version, but I will say uh, you're right. The acting is melodramatic. The funny thing is, is this was still at a point in silent film history where the acting was actually getting better than it was when they started. Sure. It used to be even more melodramatic oh, yeah. in Vaudevillian. Yeah. Uh, and so this was considered more nuanced which is funny for us now <laughs> when we see when we see the boss of the young man sending him off to go meet count orlock yeah. and he's literally cackling for like a whole minute like <laughs> like after he just asks his young employee to go close a business deal and the employee's just got this big goofy grin and he's like ha this is funny what this is great this is how life is yay yay Woo-hoo. yeah um you know that kind of stuff is obviously endearing more right. than it is irritating because you you to your point you understand that this is just a part of exploring a new medium right and i have to say that was probably what i appreciated the most about nosferatu is the way the director tried to do things that I, that look like all right these are baby steps into this was pushing into new ways of doing things right some of the shots that he did there's a shot when uh when we see the sh- one of the ship on the ocean that the right. uh, Nosferatu is on, that's almost like a tracking shot, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because at this point cameras just stayed still, right? And exactly. that's what you see in most of the movie. There's no zoom, there's no fade, there's no sweep, there's no pan, there's no you know anything except like a pinhole wipe in between scenes, <laughs> which he does a lot, right? Um, but there's this like tracking shot of the ship where wait is the camera moving? How did he pull this off in 1921 when he made this movie? It looks like he's, it looks like they've got it. The it's almost like they've got it on another ship, but they're keeping it steady and they're tracking in here. It was pretty fascinating. I was like, I didn't this 
what this this shot he was probably super proud of because it doesn't actually advance the story at all, but it looks really good for this time period. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also like the way he superimposed um, Dracula or Nosferatu right. on top of other scenes to make him look ghostly, like he was transporting yeah walls or I think that was showing up as a vision revolutionary back then. I mean to have those ghost right. shots. That was a big deal. And and then his use of shadow. Right. I think probably was the most uh, creative and compelling thing is that the creepiest moments really with Dracula aren't actually seen Dracula, right. even though they don't call him Dracula, but are actually seen as shadow moving and yeah. creeping. And in the penultimate scene, when he goes to kill the young man, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you see the hand creep up and grab her heart. And it's not the actual hand; it's the shadow, right? Right, right. And yeah, that was all really cool—the way he was very intentional about using light, yeah, in a unique way. Well, and I do think that that you're absolutely right. One of the one of the beauties I think of old black and white movies is that you really do notice the light and shadow more. And I think that there's something, particularly when you're talking about horror movies, where that really works well, um, because because. I think that there's just sort of something about the interplay of light and shadow that makes it creepy. Um, it, I I don't know if you've you've ever experienced this, but but when things are really dark, like late at night, when you tend to get creeped out, even if there's a little bit of light, you don't really see color. I mean, it's all these these grades of of gray, and I think because of that, there's a nightmarish type of quality that that these movies lend themselves to, um, and and and. In some ways, I think the new movie Nosferatu, it's a movie that works most effectively in, in a series of images. Like, the plot, by now, I think most of us who know anything about the, the Dracula story, the plot is, is fairly familiar. Um, the, the acting is, <laughs> you know, these, except for Max Schreck, who is super creepy, there was, you know, there's, you're not going to write home about this. Um, but the images that we see there, you can tell that the that the makers were really playing with the images that they're pasting up on screen. And, and in some ways, it's an interesting combination of what I would think of as sort of the standard play type of format, which most of these silent movies were sort of falling into. They're, they were just these plays that were filmed. Right. Nosferatu has that play element, but it's also trying to become something of a painting. You know, where you have these images that are meant to stick in people's minds. And, and, and again, you know, you see some of those very powerful visual images that, that I think stick with you. You know, I, the, the scene with Nosferatu popping up out of the coffin, mm-hmm. that scene that you just talked about grasping the heart, that's a pretty powerful scene. Yeah. The scene where one of the things that happens in this movie, there's also sort of this this odd metaphorical vibe to it that that Nosferatu also brings the plague with him. Mm. And so you see these uh, people are dying in this city left and right, and so you see this long procession of people carrying these coffins down the street. That felt pretty creepy to me, and it's, it's 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 an image that sticks with you long after the movie is gone, you know, essentially. Yeah, a reminder of sort of the the time period that spawned these gothic horror stories in the first place. Right. 
as the world, as you know, small communities and big communities all over, we're dealing with these kind of inexplicable right. illnesses or you know disasters that would wipe out huge swaths of their community. And, you know, sort of trying to find a reason for it right. almost. And so these stories would spring up, I think, and, and yeah. try to, you know, the way we would maybe try to, we do this still in our day and age, even if we're not necessarily saying we're looking for a reason in them, we're looking for a way to process them. Right. To, to sort of get them out of the abstract in reality and put them in the abstract of storytelling. Yeah. To sort of help us process how we feel about them and how they make us feel. Right. And so, like, we, I, I tend to do it with humor, right? Yeah. Things scare me in the real world, and I try to make jokes about them elsewhere to help me process and, like, not maybe be as paralyzed by it. And so I think we see that sort of in the storytelling is, yeah. you know, Dracula as, you know, a bringer of this plague. Right. This mysterious force as the death bird, as they talk about in the in the inner titles, mm-hmm. um, is a pretty interesting thing. Yeah. No, and I think I think that you bring up a really interesting element because I think that, that horror movies generally have been catalysts for, for us dealing with with difficult issues. You know, I, you, you see like this this metaphorical context in, in a lot of the movies that we see. And I think now in, in what I consider to be one of the one of the better ages of horror where you have some high quality scary movies being made that that explicitly point to different issues um, which which can be kind of interesting and when you look at when you look at the the age in which Nosferatu was made 1922 Germany right after World War 1 right. the whole place the whole country seems like it's just going down the tubes and you have all this this anxiety and this fear and this this sorrow of losing the war. And I think that that comes out in some of the horror movies that we see, including Nosferatu. And one thing that I didn't notice until I watched it with my parents, my dad mentioned that when you look at when you look at Dracula himself, the 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 vampire that we see reflects very much Bram Stoker's version of of a vampire much more than you know the Bela Lugosi suave debonair um, cape wearing guy Count Orlock is a really creepy guy with instead of these incisors he's got these rat like teeth that he mm-hmm. bites people with he's got these bushy eyebrows he's bald I'm looking more and more like him every day but he he has these these elements of just he's just a creepy looking guy but my my dad was saying he also has these um, very characteristic, very unflattering things that you saw back in the days that reflected anti-Semitism. You had the the large nose, and we know what happened in in Germany shortly thereafter. And maybe there was an element of anti-Semitism in in the movie too. Mm, there you go. Things you don't know if you're not. Uh, you know, I'm not read up on my 1920s German culture. So ah, it was a bad time. Not a good time. Visiting the 1920s Germany, not not fun. Yeah. So there you have it. Nosferatu. Have you guys seen Nosferatu, Red Stoker's version? You know, I don't know. What do you guys think? It was pretty steeped in the occult, pretty fascinating. If you get the DVD from your library, there's a, actually a documentary. It's also pretty spiritual. That comes along with it um, and talks about the director's obsession sort of with the occult and why he wanted to make this 
movie, pretty interesting yeah. interesting things. But the Dracula's always been a very unique spiritual story. Yeah. You know, it's, the way Gothic horror tended to be, but right. even more so with its obsession with death. Death and yes. Death and evil forces beyond our understanding. Yeah. And there's an even a medieval quality to it. So but yeah, it's it's it is worth a view, I think. And but you were able to go to sleep well that night. I was, yeah. It's it's still not going to be the type of movie that leaves you hor- modern in horror modern and terror. Yeah, modern audiences. This is probably not scary, but you will be able to see maybe how audiences of 1922 yeah. would have been shaken. You can in empathize. Their boots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there's our Halloween roundup of you know if you're going to watch a horror movie this Halloween season, go check out Nosferatu. You can get it on Amazon Prime or at your local library. That's what we did. But now it's time for an even scarier thing. It's our Hurts So Good. (laughs) Hurts So Good Pause. The Hurts So Good Pause brought to you by Whitespace. Not a sponsor. (laughs) That was was a little surreal. (laughs) Sometimes you venture out into the unknown and... (laughs) It you really just is. trust that words yeah. will come to you, and they don't. It's just a blank space. I hate it when that happens. Ooh. Pregnant pauses. <laughs> That's just my thing today. That's just my thing. <laughs> I, sometimes, again, you let your brain wander off into the ether, well, and you you're like, thinking. it's going to find things. Yeah. And words are going to come out. Other times, it's nothing. It's, it's a fog. It's just like wandering on the moon. It's like, it's just, it keeps going, and all of a sudden, you're lost in the blizzard of nothing. Lost in the blizzard of nothing. There you go. Our crazy brains. But we're here in Hurts So Good. We're here inside this segment. Ugh. It's wrapped around us. And a, a nice little cocoon that, although it's painful, you know what? I don't mind it because <laughs> maybe maybe it hurts maybe in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So good. In a so good way. We're here to talk about Sunday School Musical. It's the first – what we're doing, if you didn't if you didn't remember, if this is your first time joining us. Yeah, if you think this is some sort of weird sexual <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Here's, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Uh, that – all right. We're we're diving into the cues, the deep cues of Netflix and Amazon Prime to find the best of the worst movies to try to because there's you know what Mystery Science Theater has done a fine job, Rift Tracks has done a fine job trying to bring us, you know, some of the best of the worst. Right, and making fun of them for and us. And that's good. But once you've watched through all those, you know, what are you supposed to do if you like bad movies? How are you, you know, how well, are you supposed to find the best of the worst bad movies and, to watch? And the truth is, a lot of the very best bad movies, and Jake and I both really like bad movies, I think, right? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that, that it's, they don't do the worst of the worst. Like Troll 2, they don't do Plan 9 from Outer Space. So sometimes you have to find the real, real right. gems. The gems. The true gems. Not just like... Yeah, the, the, the ookie, ookie gems. <laughs> the ookie, ookie gems. Sure, yeah. let's go with that. Crash Bandicoot 4. Um, <laughs> and so uh, for our first, our first stab 
at finding you guys the best of the worst, uh, I brought us 2008's Sunday School Musical, which is available to watch on Amazon Prime. Oh, goodness gracious. So this, this movie, Paul, is rated G. Just for anybody who was worried with a title like Sunday School Musical that perhaps there might, might be, be out of bounds yeah. for the family, you know, do not worry. This movie is rated G. Um, it's only an hour and thirty three minutes long, so it's not it like felt so much longer. Yeah, it's not, but but it's not like you had to put in three right. hours worth of your time. Right, you know, exactly. It's half of that, so yeah. that's that's not too shabby. <laughs> but and this movie is clearly made, or at least its marketing, its cover. Is and its title is clearly made to uh, knock off High School Musical, right? Right. Yeah. Its title, its its cover, where its you cover. see the kids yeah. jumping up in the air with graduation gowns on, which is really weird because yeah. nobody graduates in this movie. Nobody graduates. Nor do they wear gowns. Yeah, ever. I think they were meant to be church robes, maybe. Right, but they never wear church robes. No, they never in do. This movie, either. no, it's very confusing. It's yeah. very confusing, and and actually, I think that maybe Disney had a much. <laughs> it seems like there was more reason to sue Sunday School Musical than maybe Bram Stoker's widow had for suing Nosferatu. No, I disagree with you there oh. because once you know. This is a good segue into actually talking about the movie itself. Once you actually watch the movie itself, there is very little <laughs> connection. Whereas when you watch when you watch Nosferatu, you're like, "Well, that's from the book." Actually, on the DVD version, they have a uh, a comparison, a scene comparison where you you can read uh, Bram Stoker's a scene from Bram Stoker's Dracula. You can read the screenplay version, and then you can watch again the Nosferatu version. And you're like, "Oh, that." It was like a shot for shot. It feels like a combination. Sunday School Musical to me feels like a combination of of High School Musical and Pitch Perfect. That's really generous. But yeah, yeah, like it's it's maybe trying to go there. Yeah. Like with the acapella and... Competition. Right. Yeah, because... The rivalries. Anyway. Yeah. No, you're right. What we have here is a nebulous... It's kind of a nebulous... Is it a church? Is it a school? Yeah. Go ahead and say Church it and tell, school. Tell us what this movie All right. is about. Young man named Zachary. Zachary. He's he's just your average everyday you know, rapper, music singer. aficionado, freestyle rapper, church choir singing, break da- street break dancing teenager. You know, he's comes just living, from a little poor part of comes town. Comes from a poor part of town, but he's got the best Church or school choir? We don't know. We don't one know. of those. Church or school <laughs> choir. And they're amazing. Like, nobody makes Jesus Loves You sound quite as cool as these kids do. You know, they're doing break dancing and swing dancing and jazz hands as they – and they enter and they we open as he dances his way to a competition, the regional competition, to see if their choir can go to states. Saddest regional competition I've ever seen. Sad, yeah. They're like, you know, the, the person is like, all right, this is to determine which two teams get to go to states. And then the third team, then it turns out there's only three teams competing, and the third team is like, oh, yeah, we food can't poisoning. make it because we got food poisoning at a church or school, potluck. Or school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the potluck dinner, right? Yeah. That's, those things are always a little bit And mysterious. so guess what? The really amazing choir and the really terrible choir. Really terrible choir. Both get to go to states. And if you think it's weird Multiple that I keep states. saying states, yeah, <laughs> this is weird because they say the states 
competition when they're talking about the state competition. They say it over and over and like, and they even show it in subtitles on the screen. States competition on banners. States competition, but then they also make it very clear that it's just their state. Why are they calling it states? Until the very end, when that one dude randomly, who's already said states multiple times, is like state competition. You're like, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with this anymore. I'm done. I'm done. So, but that's that's my aside. Yeah, they're both these choirs get to go to states. Right. That's really exciting. Except, except that Zachary finds out that he he has to move. He has to move because his mom lost her job at the hospital, and his dad is his dad in, is overseas. Yeah, he's overseas in the war. Yeah, so and that not, forces them. To apparently, move. they're they're not making that's not making them very much money with him being gone. Exactly. And so they've got to move in with his aunt in a richer part of town. And he's got to go to a different school. A new school slash church. No matter that they seem in the movie to be able to get across town just fine. Yeah, he has no issue getting out of school and making it in time. Yeah, just visiting his old practice, visiting his old buddies without, you know, just by walking. Yeah, but there you go. Uh, He has to move. He has to move, and he can't be a part of this other choir anymore. He has to go to this new school. This new school that nobody attends. They do all these establishing shots of the school. You know, They show you the playground, and they Church show you the building. School. And there, is, there are no kids to be seen yes. at this school. And there are all of maybe eight kids in the classroom. Yeah, it's like Brennan after, uh, after Nosferatu has gone through and killed everybody. Right, everybody's dead. See, I'm Everybody's trying to bring dead. it back to the. Yeah, you're bringing the, it. You know, I'm trying. You're to, bringing it back here. So he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to join this terrible choir. Terrible choir. They have no style. They have no panache. But his other choir is struggling without him because he was the leader. You know, nobody freestyles as well as he does. Exactly. So they keep saying. Yeah, and but he's he's slowly drawn in by yeah. the cute, shy, uber smart preacher's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Who you know what? If you lest you think she's perfect, her mother died. Sad. Off screen. Very sad. Very sad. It and is so sad. She's got attitude with her dad. You know, lots of attitude. There's a lot of attitude in this mm-hmm. movie. But we'll get um, to that. And but then, whoa, the old school or church? Church is out of money. It seems like it there's seems no money. Like the rich. Choir belongs to a school, and the poor choir, choir belongs, belongs to a church. church but they're competing. That... Yeah, it does. But they're competing in the same competition. Yeah. So I don't quite get it. Yeah. Even when you know that there is a subculture of churches that have schools, they don't establish that very well here. Yeah. It's bad. It's confusing. Um, so anyway. the old poor church is out of money. They need ten thousand dollars exactly. Oddly enough, the same amount of money that it's at the prize money. Apparently, right? the state's competition in this particular state. Is really has a huge cash prize of ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand, which is actually more than the movie itself cost. Right. I, I've never heard of a state's competition having a cash prize of ten thousand dollars, but this one does. And so the rich school decides we're going to band together with the poor school and be the the state's best choir, and we're going to rock and roll this bad boy. State's best school States, slash church choir. school slash church choir turns out again there's only four schools that make it to state or churches that make it to state so it's it's a little strange and i don't know it may be just really wrong actually now that i think about it because essentially so they combine right right so the rich school gets the poor church school's talent right and the poor school gets the rich 
church's school's money because yeah. there really isn't any talent there, right? Except for Zachary. Except for Zachary because well, he had to move. But technically what we find is that there was, even though it's not explained, is that the rich school actually had a talented choir, just they had no creativity, no vision. Right. You know, they had this, they had this nerd – you know, who's uber, this uber nerd who just wants them to sing hymnal out of a hymnal. And so it takes well, Zachary and coming in and getting sing. everybody singing and dancing. Music's and this one girl about... starts convulsing on top of a desk. <laughs> Music's about just letting yourself go. It's not about training. Never mind that they were off pitch. That was the whole reason yeah, oh, they were man. terrible. But, yeah. but, you know, it's all about freedom. It's all about expressing yourself. Right. So there's, there's all the problems just with the plot. <laughs> um, let alone like the the lip syncing in this movie. Oh my goodness! Not even just with the music, just I, with the dialogue. Honestly, the opening scene, the opening scene. I didn't quite know because, like you say, Zachary's sort of dancing, singing his way to to his, his choir competition practice. Yeah, yeah pro- competition and. I wasn't quite sure because this lip syncing was so bad. Yeah. Whether he was actually supposed to be singing mm-hmm. or whether he was actually it was actually just sort of background music or whether he was actually listening to something and sort of singing along with it because the lip syncing was just so off and so I just didn't know what was going on. Right. I just had no idea. Yeah. And then they just people just start talking and you're like is that person talking? Is that person talking? Is that human no, like the voice doesn't match. The audio's terrible. They're like half a sentence behind what they're supposed to be saying at some points. Like yeah. it is jarringly bad. It it is it is jarringly bad. Let me let me actually let me just say something kind of nice about okay. this. Okay, I I did not hate this movie as much as I wanted to. Okay, I first off the movie when when we say that that. That the prize money, the ten thousand dollars, was more than this movie cost. That is no exaggeration. This movie cost eighty four hundred dollars to make, and for eighty four hundred dollars, this movie. You know, there's some talented kids here. They Zachary is they, talent. He he's got some dance moves. Yeah, yeah. So you've you've got it was it was not, you know, it, the hurt so good part, right? Yeah, this hurt. But I was kind of – it wasn't as bad as I wanted it to be. I wanted yeah. it to be laughably bad. As as it turned out, I kind of started rooting for the film, these, these <laughs> plucky little kids. You know? <laughs> they were, they were like, trying oh, so hard Christian and I just kept thinking, $8,400, they've made this. They tried so hard. <laughs> it, was, it made me feel just – I wanted them to succeed. Mm, so it ended up just hurting. For you. It no, really did. That, that is a good point. So part of the hurt so good is we're trying to, we're trying to help parse out here. You know, there's different levels of movies. There's amazing movies. Mm-hmm. There's great movies. There's good movies. There's passable movies. There's really mediocre movies. Then there's bad movies. Then there's or there's lame movies and there's bad movies. And then there's movies that are so bad that they're good. Right. You're, you're Troll 2. You're Plan 9 from you're Outer Space. You're Plan 9 Space. from Outer Space. Your you're room. Manos Hand of Fate. Exactly. And so what we're trying to help figure out here and Heard So Good is which ones enter into that territory. Yeah. And, and this one doesn't, for all of its laughable moments, and there are laughable moments. There are here. laughable like, moments. Like, let me just say, 
you can watch this and get laughs. Yes. But it's a terrible movie. Yeah. But to Paul's point, you start to feel bad. Like more than yeah. more than you want to laugh. You're like, oh man, this is just really sad. Like I, I almost pity I almost pity this. Like I, I almost feel uh, uh, they're trying they're in all their trying. ridiculousness. There's an earnestness to it, but not the good kind of earnest where yeah. it's just like, oh my word, you're so clueless. It's just like they're trying so hard to be liked, you know? They you know, just want to be loved. Here's here's the thing about Sunday School Musical. Like, Sunday School Musical in some ways embodies everything that's wrong with Christian movies, right? right. I mean, it, it takes something that's popular within the secular culture. It takes it as its own. It makes it much, 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 much worse. And doesn't really do anything like scriptural or spiritual with it at all. It has the, one try at it yeah. in a church scene and yeah. it falls flat. Like it's not they didn't even do a good job delivering the biblical message. I actually yeah. think I have watched high school musical. I actually think <laughs> that high school musical was more moral and uplifting than Sunday school musical. The yeah. kids in Sunday school musical were often quite jerky. Right. You know? You wanted to give them all spankings. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't my reaction, but yeah, you, you know, know, old guy. It was, it was, it was just, it, to me, to me, the movie, but at the same time, you've had this heart, you know, it cost $8,400 to make. <laughs> and it, it was, it was just one of those movies where it almost felt like someone created this terrible battle royale cutthroat evil and they gathered up a whole bunch of puppies and threw them into the battle royale that's that's what this felt like and that's not fun to watch yeah well i mean it, it I is mean. it still is that's that's the thing like so if we're going on a scale of negative one to negative ten <laughs> um i i mean i would st- a negative ten being your troll two right right um which is to your point is amazing because especially you can tell that the director Thought he had something here, yeah, and it's just, and so you actually feel, you know, you feel better about laughing at it because it's like, no, he thinks this is supposed to be amazing. He's supposed this right. is supposed to be, and and yet it's still this horrendous, like in every aspect of it. But with this one, it's like these kids really believe in it, yeah, you know, and they really want to be great, and they really want to make this a fun, engaging movie. But the choreography is terrible. Well, and you feel, and yeah, the sing, they're oh, off pitch. Yeah. You know, the scene. There's literally a song called "You're Not the Boss of Me," <laughs> and it's two teenagers. At the lunch That table. was my favorite song. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. And like turning their backs to each other and huffing and kind of like, you know, pushing each other, but really gently. Yeah. And they're doing these like spin moves, but they're real slow where they're just like taking multiple steps around and then like settling into their final spot. Hilarious. Oh, my goodness. But they're trying so hard. And yeah, they're just and- these kids that if – yeah, you're right. It feels like they were – dealt a raw hand and we're just supposed to laugh at them it's, being terrible when it, they're supposed to be terrible. Yeah, it's it's a little like watching it's a little like watching the Olympics, you know, the the, the ice skating in the Olympics and and you know, a skater just keeps falling down and falling down and you just don't want to see that. I, it it tears me apart yeah. when I see that and you just you you kind of think, "Oh, these poor kids. These poor kids." I have to say that um that one of the kids who you were mentioning in, in 
you're not the boss of me. Yeah. The, the the geeky, the geeky the, nerd who doesn't exactly. Like... If if there's a bad guy in this movie, this geeky nerd named Miles, I yeah. think his name yep. is it. He was my favorite character <laughs> in the entire movie. He totally was. I, I really just thought the other kids were just sometimes a little bit bratty. You know, Miles, at least he knew what he was. And he the knew thing he was, was yeah. he, he actually was the only one who was acting, from what I could see. He was the only one who, well, this it is It looked like true. he was going some, for something. He, he had a character in mind, and he was right. playing the character. All the other people, they were saying lines. And they were kind of being themselves, but that was as far as it went. Right. He had maybe one of the better voices in there. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell whose voice was whose. But, yeah, it's true. But you're right. Like, the, the lead girl in like, the movie, she's got a terrible voice. She is not very good. She is not very good. She's, yeah. I mean, uh, no, you know, not a terrible voice. No, she's... But it's, it's, it's not a Jake Roberson voice. It's not as... No, it actually is a Jake Roberson voice. And that, like... <laughs> It's not so bad that you just laugh at it and it's like, oh, I can make this funny. Right. But it's not passable enough that you're like, oh, yeah, he can, you know, like yeah. give him give him like a one line solo. It's like I'm bad enough that you're just always wait. Is that what is that I hear yeah. <laughs> coming from the choir? Is that somebody who's off off key just a little bit? Yeah, that's me. And that's her. <laughs> and that's her. That's so funny. Um, so, Paul, on a scale of negative one to negative ten, what would you give Sunday School Musical? On a scale of negative one to negative ten. See, there's so many different scales that we could be talking about. All right, all right. So then give me give me right. some different scales here. Okay, so in terms of like oh, – <laughs> in terms of just bad moviness, right? right. The Hurt So Good scale is our, our overall uh, The scale. Hurt So Good scale, I would – so does it, is negative 10 like – okay, so negative 10 negative is troll 10 two. Negative 10 is your troll, troll two. two. It's where you actually run out and go see it because it's so bad. Right, and you're going to watch a negative it again two. because it's so bad. This is a negative two. Yeah. This is not a movie that I think uh, – It's it's just not a very – it just makes you feel bad. It hurts so bad, and it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. I, I'm not quite so harsh, but I'm also not quite... So generous? So generous either. Um, because there there were some legitimate laughs. I think part of the problem... Did you did you watch this by yourself, or did you watch it with somebody else? I watched it with myself. Okay. And so I tried That's... to get people to watch it with me, and yeah. no one would. They wouldn't? I thought your family liked bad movies. But that's what some I was talking. So I watched it with my wife, and we were talking about this. It's the type of mo- with some of these movies. This one in particular, you some movies like a Troll Two are so bad that like they're best with other people, but they would still be really bad and funny by yourself. Right. This is one where if you're watching it by yourself, I totally get why it would be really really low. Like this one, the only way it's ever going to be funny is if you're watching this with a bunch of people. Uh, if you're watching it by your, if I was watching it by myself, I probably just would have felt really, really bad and given it a negative two. <laughs> watching it, watching it with my wife, we were able to kind of talk back and forth and notice different things that the other one didn't notice and banter a little bit. And so I'll, I, for that, I'm going to give it a negative four, and say if you've got a group of people that can watch this together, like go for it because there is stuff that you're going to find that's funny. 
that there are is some funny worth moments. laughing at and that you're going to have some inside jokes as a group after the fact. But it's not one that I can say it hurts so good that you've got to go watch this by yourself even if you don't have a group. Yeah. So I'm, a, I'm only going to give it a negative four on the hurts so bad scale or hurts so good scale. Yeah. Can so. I share with you my favorite part of the movie? Yes, please. All please right. do. So Savannah, the preacher's daughter, yep. she's sitting around with her, her dad, which for some reason he is the softest talker in the movie. I had a hard time hearing him. But he did talk about this story about what his what Savannah's mom used to do. <laughs> When, when she, she was feeling stressed. when she was feeling stressed, uh-huh. she would eat a piece of bubble gum and she would blow a bubble, and she would pray that the bubble, once the bubble popped, all her stresses yeah. and anxiety would sort of vanish. <laughs> Dear God, make this bubble take away this trouble. Is the prayer that she said. <laughs> yeah, talk okay. about bubble gum theology. I mean. <laughs> Goodness. We use that mockingly. That might this might be the origin of that term because then in the penultimate yeah. scene where they're not going to be allowed to or no, it's even before they learn that they're not going to be allowed oh, to yeah. compete. Yeah. Because of XYZ rule that they had already actually solved for, but all of a sudden it it's a problem work. again. Yes. Uh with no explanation. And then they solve it in my second most favorite, but we'll um, But she gets nervous unex- inexplicably. We've never seen her be nervous about this before. There's no explanation, but all of a sudden they're trying to use some dramatic camera zooms and make it make the noise louder, and she's stressed, and she ducks outside by herself, and she pulls a piece of gum slowly from her pocket, and she puts it in her mouth, and she hears her dad's voice saying, Dear Lord, make this bubble take away my troubles. See? And it pops... And she's fine. <laughs> so, Jake, you know, if I start chewing bubble gum during these, you're podcasts, stressed out. Yeah, yeah. I'll just like blow, and then I will blow a bubble. Trouble with this bubble. I will blow a bubble and we'll pop, and you'll be gone. Yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll have disappeared. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> Sunday school musical available when you get your group together. This might be a good small group thing. You know, if you're in, if you do small groups, community groups, whatever you call that. Well, and if, you, if you don't just mind, have a bunch of friends, if you don't mind laughing at Christian movies, I mean, because yeah. I think for some, some people, people don't like that. Some people mocking a Christian movie is it feels well, it feels like kicking your dog. You know, it just it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. But you know what? I think it's good to laugh at ourselves. I think it is. Yeah. I Will just, Rogers taught us that. I think that I can laugh at, at the people who who had the idea for this movie but i do feel bad for the kids there you go uh all right paul what do we got next on our hurts so good let's let's keep let's okay we got to find the good ones yeah so this is i'm not sure if this even qualifies as a bad movie but that's what we're here for but it did come up as a bad movie on some of the lists that i saw and it looks like this might be one of those movies that could be a winner for both of us all right on Netflix, there's a Netflix. movie called Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. With the, you mean like the Mortal Kombat? Correct, correct. Based on the video game, this was before you know when video game movies were always terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a nineteen. Let's see, is it nineteen ninety five? Nineteen ninety five. So. Um, this should be it, – it's got a lot of CGI, got a lot of bad reviews. I have high hopes for this one. I mean it's – It's going to have less singing, a, which is already a original video game thing. movies. Right, yeah. right. To save the planet, a team of hand-picked noble fighters faces down the minions of an evil emperor in a deadly fantastical combat tournament. Because, you know, what evil emperor – 
who wants to destroy the planet wouldn't yeah. hold a a deadly fantastical combat tournament filled with hand-picked noble fighters. Exactly. I think any movie that has like ninja-like warriors in it is either going to be really good or really bad or possibly both. Yeah. So, there's, we shall see. There's a lot of room, so let's we're we're going to figure that out for you guys and we're going to report back on the next seg- next episode of Hurts So Good. But now it's time for the most least important thing. This is the most least important thing. This is the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. We talk about I the big, wait for the moment. tiny, the huge, the minuscule in pop culture. Whatever we want to talk about. This is an excuse for us to talk about whatever. 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 That really is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we should just call it what it is. Yep. Um, what we want the to most least about. important thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and so for me, um, I've got, I've got a little bit of bone to pick here. I'm a little. A little uh, but we, we, I think we need to talk about it. All right. All right. Uh, recently, within the last couple of weeks, um, shockwaves were sent through the pop culture world when one Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. a musician a few people have heard of. Yeah, I think I've heard A couple of people maybe have heard her songs. For the first time ever, came out with a political stance. She actually made some political – she had some political commentary. She she told people what she thought about a per- particular political race and she told people how to – you know how she thought maybe they should vote in this particular political race. Which is her right. She can do that. Absolutely. That's, that's not the thing. It, it was shocking because she's never done that before. Right. She's exactly. never tread into those types of waters before. So people are like, whoa. Like – and it wasn't even like it was a national thing. It was a state-level Tennessee thing. And here's Taylor Swift. This is the first time she's going public. All right, here we go. Um, and, of course, that sparked myriad reactions, as it pretty much does any time a celebrity has a political opinion. You have your range of the people that agree saying, woohoo, yay! You know, and then you have the people that disagree who say, shut up and sing for us, pretty face. Um, <laughs> Just like that. Sadly, yeah, the internet trolls are pretty lousy. Um, but why, why I'm bringing this up, it's her right to say this, but why I'm bringing this up is there are a lot of people that were upset with Taylor. I think a, a lot of people that say, you know, stay out of politics. I don't care about your opinion. Um, I don't want this. I don't want politics mixed up in my entertainment, but I think they're full of it because last man standing. All right. Last man standing's back on the air now with Tim Allen. And that was particularly controversial because some people thought it originally got pulled off the air because of Tim Allen's politics. Sure. And now it's been picked up by another network, and they're really leaning into the politics. Like all the ads show him making jokes about stupid liberals, right? And so when are we as a here's, – here's my most least important thing part of it is when are we as an audience just going to kind of be more honest with ourselves and say it's not that we don't want our celebrities to be political. It's just that we want them to be to, – we just want them to have the exact same opinion as us. And when they don't, that's the only time when we say, oh, shut your mouth is when they disagree with us. Because as soon as Tim Allen agrees with you or Taylor Swift agrees with you, you're all on board that train. You're like, yes, use your platform. So, Paul, when are we going to decide that we're either for or against somebody using their platform? Like, let's just pick a lane here. 
Yeah, you know what? I sort of agree and disagree with you yeah. all at the same time. Yeah, because I think I think I can understand why people don't necessarily want to have their their entertainment politicized because you think why does Taylor Swift's opinion matter more than someone else's? Why does Tim Allen's opinion matter than someone else's? Because because they're celebrities. It's not because they've necessarily read the issues more. So it, it feels like in some ways they they there is an element of why do we like you? We like you because you can sing. We like you because we can. they can act. We don't necessarily need to know your opinions. At the same time, they are private citizens just like all of us, so they can speak their mind. It's This is actually fodder for an entire podcast because it's really, to me, this whole thing is very fascinating. Um, I don't have a problem necessarily separating a person's political views from what they do. I know right. people who will I not don't watch certain yeah. actors or actresses because of what they believe. You know, they just can't they can't lose themselves in a movie. But I it doesn't it doesn't matter that much to me. And and, and it's just interesting how the the real world of these people can sort of trans trans transfer over to to their to their actual careers and 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 how that impacts their fans and i i find it fascinating this is sort of an argument that i don't think is ever going to go away i don't think it will i think i'm just venting my frustration in that i personally don't care Mm -hmm. when they choose to use their platform a certain way or when a movie maker wants to tell a story with a message right regardless of what their message is whether or not i agree with it i don't begrudge them well for movies doing are different that. in this way you know because yeah. i think that the, that oftentimes movies are meant to make a political statement well but the, and so but, but, so that's what i'm saying is that what i'm really trying to get at is just our attitude where we will make that point and we'll say yeah that's what movies are supposed to do they're always supposed to give a message when we agree with that movie's message. And then as soon as we don't agree with the movie's message, then we start getting all indignant like, oh, I just wish movies would stick to being entertainment. So although it, I, I agree that there are differences in where we should actually have the conversation about the difference between a movie and an actor or actress having you know an opinion on politics outside of their movies mm-hmm. and where does that overlap happen and where is the nuance in there – what I'm tired of is us as viewers not having a, a level of intellectual honesty with ourselves mm-hmm. to say that if I'm okay with Tim Allen being political and Tim Allen having a political comedy you know, or a show with a political co- – a comedy show that has a very political leaning, mm-hmm. then at the same – I have to be okay with Taylor Swift doing the same thing with her music and with her voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and no. Instead of just, and, but we we have this intellectual disconnect oftentimes where we'll we'll watch the one that we like and be like applaud it, and then we'll turn around, and I don't like that because that's that's partly what's dividing us is yeah. this intellectual disconnect in ourselves that prevents us from seeing. I'm applauding this very same thing that I'm decrying. Yeah. All right, so I have I have two maybe three thoughts on this. Number one, I actually think that some of this might be generational. Because I think that, and you can almost see it in our respective Twitter feeds, which we'll tell you what they are later. You know, because I think that I think that you and I think that a lot of younger people feel much more comfortable, even if it's not the realm in which you live. You know, on on like a, a on your platform on your right. social platform, much more free to talk about 
what you feel are politics, you know, right? I tend to throttle back on that. I don't really, because I figure, who cares what I think? I have some really, really strong opinions on lots of things that I don't necessarily share because I figure people just don't care. So I think that there's sort of this this generational um, difference of opinion on, on when and where we should engage, which I find pretty interesting. My second thought is is that I totally agree with you, and I think that there are a lot of people who, who if they agree with someone, they're all for them. If they disagree with someone, they're, they can't stand them anymore. For me, and again, this may be generational, for me, when I hear someone talking about a, a political statement that I, that I disagree with, it doesn't impact how I think about them. But I tell you what, where it does drive me crazy is when – award shows get super political it drives me crazy does that drive you crazy am i, don't I... watch award shows so mm, yeah see, i can't be driven crazy because i don't care about award shows in general oh i just i outside of my fantasy maddens me i just yeah. i just want yeah <laughs> outside of my new interest in it for fantasy movie league exactly purposes, you'll be watching all of them i'm now. all about it <laughs> so but it does drive me crazy when when you have these political discussions inserted in to what should be an awards show that's 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 the only time when it really bothers me on kind of the level that I think you're talking about. Sure. Um, so speaking of fantasy movie leagues, did you say you had – I think you said before we got on here that you had some updates. I did. You've I seen did. a couple of your picks now since making them. Yes. Well, I've seen both of our number one picks oh, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so you've seen my number one. You've seen your number yeah. one. Yeah. And, and the only thing I'll say about it is – okay. So so your number one was First Man. First Man. My number one Star was Stars Born. Not saying what I thought, you know, which movie was my favorite, but rather how they're going to do in in the yeah. awards bank and in, in the awards tourney. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kick your butt. Oh, come that's on. that's the way. That's it goes. not what I'm hearing. Oh yeah. I, okay. Yeah, granted, I, I haven't seen A Star Is Born myself. I've only seen First Man, uh, but. Uh, the buzz I'm hearing is that maybe Star is Born is not as amazing. You like, know, there was... that it's solid and competent and fine, but it's maybe not like oh, it's going to kill. Blow your socks off. It's going to kill at, at awards time. There was this CGA CGI space battle scene that I was not expecting in Star is Born <laughs> that just blew me away. You're like, oh, the visual effects awards. Are bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let me go on to my least most yeah. important thing, which may actually impact a little bit what you were talking about right. for your least most important thing. So you know Banksy, right? Oh, I do know Banksy. Good old Banksy. He is, a, he is sort of a rebellious street artist from, from England who is known for being a little bit um, puckish yeah. at time. He, uh, and known for not being known. We and known know for who not being Banksy known. Is. Yes, we he's don't even very. Know if it's a he, he, do we? he, exactly. He's yeah. he's Could he or she. she is very reclusive, and mm-hmm. so only a few people know who he or she is. But he still does his artwork. He's gotten really popular, um, and he just had a painting sold at Sotheby's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was auctioned off for one point four million dollars. A, a tidy sum. A tidy sum. I know you have that, that in your back pocket right now. Yeah. But as soon as the gavel hit, slam, all of a sudden, the painting, this girl with balloon, I think is what it was yeah. called, started sliding down the frame. Apparently, Banksy... And out of the frame. <laughs> out of the frame. Apparently, but in more pieces. In more pieces. Apparently, Banksy installed in this very ornate 
uh, frame. This shredder, <laughs> and it, he, had it, he had it rigged so that as soon as it sold, the shredder would would take the painting and just shred it. I so, love this. Yeah, one point four million dollars now, literally in pieces. But but that so here's what I love it's about part of the this. art. Yeah, How, like. Uh, last I read on this piece, they were trying to decide whether this made it less valuable or, <laughs> or more, more valuable. valuable. Yeah, I think they're going to land on more, honestly. Oh yeah, because what a what an exp- art experience he created. He created a moment with this piece that was bigger than just the piece of art itself, and so thereby the art he made a statement about art in general. Right. And our and just the weird value system we have around art that's impossible to quantify and yet we try. I loved it. I absolutely oh, I loved did it. Oh, yeah. I did too. I did too. Just and, and that moment was just so delicious. <laughs> I just paid one point four million dollars. <laughs> just like then, how surreal is that? Like I've just seen the people sitting there just like is this yeah. life right now? Like, what? Well, is, what just happened? And you think about the buyer. I mean, it kind of depends on what the buyer was thinking. Is he? Did he say, "Oh, I'm buying this painting because it's Banksy and because he's political and because he has so many things to say"? The whole shredding thing would would have been really good. Right. If he was saying that would look really great <laughs> over my sofa, then that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Such a such a fun moment. In in the art scene, I love stuff like that. Banksy, well done. I know you're listening. Oh, if only I was that smart. <laughs> Banksy, I know you're listening right now. I know you're listening to the show. And I just <laughs> yeah. got to say, that was a ball of move. <laughs> that was a ball of move. I'm trying to channel my Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> Banksy and I are very close. I don't know whether it's a man or a woman, but we're very close. <laughs> You sound a little Trumpian, actually, there, too. Oh, man. That was not what I was going for. Anyway. I didn't get shrill enough to be a good Stephen A. Yeah. I don't want anybody near the basketball in the fourth quarter when LeBron is on the court. <laughs> Check it out, guys. Stephen A. Smith. He's great. He's a he's a sports commentator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jay Farrow does an amazing parody of Stephen A. Smith for SNL. It's fantastic. But that's another that's a that's a mostly important thing. There you go. You got a three for today. <laughs> All right. So um that's our mostly important thing. That's our show. Be sure to catch uh, Mortal Kombat with a K with us on the Netflix. Should be fun. We're going to see if it hurts so good together and uh, let you know our thoughts on that and many other things. But for now, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.